day I've got nothing more to say At the end of my line There's a clearing in my mind All of us are feeding All of us are needing a time Welcome to Life After Jet, a podcast all about the lives and careers of the fascinating people who all share one thing in common. They were all past participants of the Japanese exchange program known as Jet. This is Eden, your podcast host, and I hope you are staying safe and healthy during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been a while since the last episode, and with all this free time now, suddenly available to those of us staying indoors, I've been able to pop out the first episode for 2020. Yay! This year, we'll be exploring themes such as working in the Japanese public sector, which our guest, Rafael Villadiego, did, serving as part of the Consulate of Japan in Sydney. A role in the embassy or consulate of Japan would be an ideal post-jet job, And indeed, our experience and familiarity with Japanese culture, work environment, and language makes us great candidates. However, it takes more than that to be a true ideal candidate, as we shall see. Uh, So my name is uh, Raphael. I was on the JET program between 2010 to 2013. I was a batchmate with Eden, departing on the same group back in 2010. Um, uh, Now I uh, work in um, advertising, uh, localizing um, international advertising content for different markets. You worked for the Consulate General of Sydney? That's right, yep, the Consulate General of Japan in Sydney. Yes, for a number of years. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, how about we start from start from the jet days? What what prompted you to get onto jet? For sure. Uh, so I had a little bit of a strange path to jet um, in that I didn't join um, straight out of university. I had um, worked for a number of years beforehand, and I was kind of uh, looking for, I guess, sort of a tangent to my the current career path that I was on. So um, I had studied. Um, international studies and Japanese in university together with a a double degree in um, information technology. So, Mm -hmm. you know, being the responsible son that I was, I got a job in uh, finance and IT straight out of university, which was kind of the uh, responsible thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I worked in um, uh, Macquarie Bank in Sydney and in Hong Kong for a couple of years. And for uh, any of our international listeners out there, uh, all two of you, uh, that's the Macquarie Bank in Australia is known as the Millionaire's Factory. Uh, because uh, that, those are the traders, unfortunately, not uh, not as lowly um, <laughs> financial trading kind of people in the background. But you know, we like to believe that we allowed the millionaires to get those millions of dollars. <laughs> oh, that's it's God's work that you're doing. Yes. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, I was uh, working there for a couple of years and it was uh, kind of an interesting juncture. So I was there in Hong Kong in 2008, which was basically the the beginnings and uh, the fallout of the GFC was taking place at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of um, a surreal experience, like, you know, sitting in your office, watching the news, um, hearing that HSBC laid off, you know, 2000 people and then seeing them stream out of the building across the road from from you so that time was kind of like a very interesting and allowed me to kind of really take stock of what i was um doing um and in pursuit of my career and if it was really the right path for me Mm because it was definitely like an interesting profession and i i gained a lot of value from the experience working there Mm -hmm. but you know call it my quarter life crisis or or whatever uh, whatever kind of label you'd like to put in it but um I was sitting in my office one evening and then that evening ended up becoming morning and I was watching the sunrise and it was probably one of the most beautiful sunrises I've seen. But I kind of asked myself, what am I doing still sitting in the office watching this? And um, I'd been working on a project overnight and it was like, you know, 
I was happy that we finally got it done, but it was a lot of um, dedication to something. Mm. And I was wondering, what was it really for? So, you know, maybe I was feeling a little bit existential from the lack of sleep, but that kind of, you know, made me reevaluate a little bit about um, what I was doing and where I was going. And um, I kind of went back to thinking about what I really uh, wanted to pursue as a career. Like, long story short, I decided to finish up my time there in Hong Kong and go backpacking for a couple of months, uh, just visiting a bit of um, Asia and uh, Europe. And I decided to go back and study for another year um, to do my honors degree in Japanese study. Because um, looking back of what I had been doing and what really interested me, it was um, my international studies and the Japanese side of my degree. Mm. So I was kind of looking for an opportunity to pursue that side a bit further. So um, that's what I ended up doing. I went back to to write my thesis on... Um, the otaku subculture in Australia, which uh, was basically an excuse to attend conventions and like, you know, talk to people and interview them about their experience. So, you know, yeah. I like to believe there was there, there's like a, a very small niche of people who might have a interest in that area. And wow. um, so I pursued that for a bit of time. So you've actually studied uh, anime and otaku culture, and you have a thesis. It, well, okay, so I can't exactly... It's, uh, it's, it's available at the university, kind of, just sealed up in their thesis their thesis um, vault, but I don't think anyone has ever read it, other than myself and my supervisor. <laughs> but, yeah. I thought you said it was available online if you go to uh, the library. I'm not sure. <laughs> it possibly but, is now that they have been putting everything up electronically. So at some point, someone may have scanned it and put it somewhere. But I have not pursued that uh, since <laughs> I submitted that thesis all those years ago. Well, I would probably, I would definitely be looking for it and uh, attaching that as a link. And uh, please, please erase, erase all copies if you do find it. <laughs> <laughs> Was the weeb culture actually around? It wasn't that that terminology actually. I'm uh, maybe I'm showing a little bit of my age, but that hadn't really entered the vernacular at that point in time. Okay. So I think it definitely has evolved, and you know it may be worth um, re-exploring mm-hmm. again. Yeah, it, it, at the time though, it was basically the idea of like um, the idea of being an otaku. Um, you know, has mixed connotations in Japan, but it was really in Western nations and the focus here specifically was Australia. It had almost been, you know, adopted by the mm. uh, this uh, subgenre of people almost as a, as a badge of honor, if you will. And right. uh, people were happy to kind of associate with that term to um, express their, their level of fandom in, in, you know, Japanese pop culture. And so Weibo is almost like, well... Otaku is just not extreme enough. We we need like a we need to turn it <laughs> the up next, to the next level for sure. You the know all the level. that's yeah. right. The, the millennials and young folks came in and just elevated even further. I do remember. Uh, even though we, you and I, were batchmates, we didn't mm-hmm. live, leave from Sydney at the same time. I actually met no, you. No, that's right. I ended up meeting actually the whole group in Tokyo because um, before actually joining the Jet program. So I finished off my uh, my thesis and I was kind of at a bit of a loose end thinking about uh, what do I do with an honors degree in arts writing about otaku subculture. It was very interesting at the time, but then, you know, the classic idea of like, what do you do with an arts degree? So I was kind of wondering that myself. And um, while I was studying, um, I'd also been studying um, Korean at the time and um, during that period really was um, the whole kind of Hallyu wave and that was kind of just having its beginnings and the spread of Korean pop culture around the world was really beginning at that time as well. So I was fortunate enough, um, I applied to uh, pursue further um, Korean study um, in Korea and got a scholarship to do so. Mm-hmm. So I went and pursued that while I was waiting for my um, uh, my JET application mm-hmm. to kind of go through. So um, I went and studied in Korea for a semester, and I probably would have stayed there um, if um, the opportunity for the JET program didn't come through at that time. Right. But uh, when it did came, come through, I, I kind of went back to my first love, which was Japanese, and um, ended up... Uh, 
finishing off my semester in Korea, going to Australia for a week to pick up my visa, and then jumped on the plane to Japan with the rest of the the jet folks. But I think because I was late, I was sitting with like not the main Sydney group at the time, so I only ended up meeting everyone once we arrived in Tokyo. So what was it like being in Fusebo? You were in ALT. <laughs> yes. Um, so I guess like many people embarking on the JET program, um, I had actually never heard of my town before being mm-hmm. assigned to it. You know, I did want it to go to the to the Inaka, the countryside. Mm-hmm. So um, when I'd studied previously in Japan, I was uh, based in Tokyo, which was a really great experience at the time, uh, being a, a university exchange student. But I think yeah. uh, on this occasion in Japan, I kind of really wanted to experience the life in regional Japan. So yeah. I had um, put down as my preferences um, uh, Hokkaido, Northern Honshu, or Shikoku. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up getting sent to Kyushu, which was uh, completely out of left field. Yeah. But it ended up being a blessing in disguise because now I can't imagine any other place but uh, Sasebo as being the town that I was sent to. Mm. So it was, uh, it was an interesting place. So. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, there is a, actually an uh, American naval base in Sasebo. Mm-hmm. So it is one of the areas in Japan, um, you know, not quite as uh, prevalent as like Okinawa in terms of um, American military presence, but it was there. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gave the town a little bit of a interesting, um, you know, mixture of people in, mm-hmm. in the area. But then, uh, so kind of semi-urban in the, you know, in the central part of town, but then, you know, ride your bicycle, you know, 20 minutes in one direction and it becomes um, rice fields very quickly. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, in Nagasaki prefecture, but kind of on the other side of actual Nagasaki city itself. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more isolated in that sense, mm-hmm. but still only about two hours from Fukuoka. And um, you can um, pretty much access the rest of Kyushu from there, which we ended up doing. So mm. Kyushu, I think, uh, from the rest of Japan has a very, um, you know, unique atmosphere, a little bit more laid back, which I think is probably good uh, coming from Australia. That, mm. that kind of similar attitude was kind of shared. Mm. And it's got a unique uh, culture or, or at least the religious heritage, I suppose. Mm, very much so, yeah. So yeah. Nagasaki Prefecture was, um, I guess, where uh, Christianity really took a foothold in Japan. Mm. So um, traveling around Nagasaki, there are so many um, old churches and monuments around the place yeah. that shows that, you know, even during the period when Japan was closed off from, um, you know, from other countries in the world, there were... Mm. Um, areas where international traders could um, still continue having contact with Japan. And Nagasaki is one of the areas where you can see the the history of that influence. Yeah. And does, is that reflected in the food as well? Like, uh, Yeah, very much so. So like, you know, the famous kind of um, dishes in, in uh, Nagasaki prefecture, a kind of mixture of like a European and like Chinese style dishes. So mm. Nagasaki Castella, the the famous cakes in the area, yeah, and things like um, sara udon and champon are kind of more derived from Chinese style noodles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and then the American side coming in, Sasebo's famous dish was is our Sasebo burgers, Sasebo <laughs> hamburgers. So yeah, wow. basically. So it's kind of a nice little uh, melting pot of different cultures. We even had a Dutch theme park. Haustenbosch in Sasebo <laughs> as well. So go figure, that's uh, that's kind of our little uh, corner of yeah. Japan. It's, uh, it seems to be, uh, it's, it's not the only one. I, in Fukushima, we had the British Hills. Ah, uh, there you go. Which uh, I've never been myself personally. I've, I've, but it, it's, it's sort of a, I guess, a cult favorite among the Jets mm. uh, in, in Fukushima because as... I don't know, I've never been to the Dutch equivalent in, in your prefecture, but I can sort of imagine it's a bit like a hilarious, sort of a wonky view uh, through the eyes of the Japanese about what a particular foreign culture would Indeed, look like. indeed. Yeah. Very much so. So, 
I guess, you know, Japan has a very unique way of looking at um, at foreign countries and, and also attaching its own kind of Japanese flavor to it as well. Mm. And I think, you know, it's a remnant of like the boom in the 80s where there was so much kind of money and development going on in Japan. I think there are a lot of these kind of forgotten theme parks that kind of popped up and, you know, most eventually I think ended up closing down, but there are a few uh, yeah. remnants to it around the country and, um, you know, Houston Bosch was one of those. I think it yeah. was um, bought out by um, HIS, the travel agency. So I think that gave it a new lease on life. And right. kind of they integrated a bunch of like anime inspired um, kind <laughs> of themes to the place as well. So I think um, One Piece at the time was very big. So they had a, they had a, the, the boat from One Piece that you could visit as well. So I think, you know, keeping up hey. with the times, modernizing. How, how how does One Piece connect with Dutch? Uh, I think just the fact it was it was a boat, so they could you know they they could they could it travel <laughs> they can travel to different ports around the world. So that's a very 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 tenuous link. It's Indeed, a boat. That, that's all you need. <laughs> we we can travel, and and uh, the Netherlands is reachable by sea. Therefore, there is that connection. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I see it. No, I don't. Really. I think you can travel all over the world. So, yeah, so one piece, they are, you know, across all the different seas, it's right. all open to them. No, no, not, no, no mind, they're, they're set in like an alternate fantasy universe. <laughs> sure. no, no problem at all. <laughs> so, let's fast forward to mm-hmm. when you decide to finish up in Jet. Uh, mm-hmm. What's what prompted that decision? So yeah, so I was kind of uh, I think many people reach a point where they're kind of deciding, you know, when they ask you if you want to recontract or not. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, I was I was pretty like ready to stay. Mm-hmm. And because um, I I had been thinking I might as well stay for the whole five years. Yeah. And um, I think it was a very fine line between the two. But I think just a few. Um, Family Matters back home kind of brought me back to um, Australia at that time. Mm-hmm. Again, it's another one of those junctures where I really wonder what could have been if I had decided to stay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at, at that point in time, the decision was to go home and, you know, take a little bit of a detour and travel along the way. So, mm. um, yeah, so in 2013, I finished up in um, Japan. Mm-hmm. and made the kind of the long journey home to Australia from there. Did you have any clear pathways or plans about what you were going to do after JET? Mm, that was a kind of the, the conundrum because um, mm. originally my goal was to um, move to Tokyo to um, continue working in Japan. Mm. But again, since I had to um, head back home, then that, unfortunately that was uh, put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. So coming back, I think perhaps I'd probably, in hindsight, I could have planned things a bit better and really um, started uh, pursuing opportunities or at least uh, reaching out for opportunities before coming back. But yeah. I think I, I uh, came back and decided to uh, do, again, a little bit of traveling uh, mm-hmm. while before settling into, you know, the quote-unquote real world again. Mm-hmm. And so... I did a bit of traveling and then, you know, started seriously pursuing, um, you know, what I wanted to do now that my post-jet life had begun. Mm. And I was kind of looking for opportunities to use the, again, the international studies and Japanese side of my degree, but also thinking, unfortunately, opportunities aren't as readily available in that area. Mm. So I was kind of also looking back, you know, my fallback on my, my other degree in, um, you know, IT. Mm. And, you know, IT being IT, there definitely were opportunities in that area. Mm. But I think I was, you know, again, quite fortunate and perhaps just being at the right place at the right time. But um, I did end up joining the the local Jet AA chapter and I ended up meeting who ended up being my my um, my predecessor at the consulate. Mm. So I met her at one of the events and um, she did mention that she was probably going to be finishing up at the consulate and that I should consider applying for the role. Mm. So um, that was, you know, a bit quite unexpected because I didn't really, you know, it would have been uh, a great opportunity and I just didn't think it was 
available at the time. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, circumstances just kind of aligned. Again, I did have to apply and go through the process with um, all the other people who applied. Yeah. But I guess I was just fortunate that I probably had the right skill set that they were looking for at the time. And most definitely having that uh, jet experience under my belt was very um, beneficial for my application. Yeah. Well, now that we get to that to that topic, what, what it's like to apply for a job at the, the consulate? Sure. Uh, so basically, as similar to uh, any other job application, and I guess in some ways similar to uh, the JET program application, but um, not quite as many pages as the JET program application. <laughs> but yeah, you do have to write a, um, you know, like a cover letter speaking to the uh, kind of qualities and, and they're looking for um, in the role. Like, and um, like, what, what would that be? Uh, so basically, uh, they did give a, like a job description for the, uh, the role at the time. And um, I just kind of... Uh, after to to admit to to be fair, it was a little bit broad, so mm-hmm. I just kind of uh, tried to. The role itself was uh, partially for the jet program coordinator, but uh, more broadly, the, within the information and cultural affairs division. So mm-hmm. beyond just being the jet program coordinator, you'd be working um, in terms of uh, kind of doing, say, public relations. And at the time, the consulate was also revamping their um, their website and online presence. Mm. So I think having a bit of an IT background was uh, beneficial at the time because uh, we ended up um, uh, revamping the website twice while I was there. And, um, and then other areas, just having an, um, an active interest in current affairs and the news and being kind of aware of what's kind of going on um, in Australia at the time and its um, relationship to Japan was also important. Mm -hmm. So again, just reading widely and, uh, you know, being interested in those types of things was, was again, good for the role. Mm -hmm. And again, um, having lived and worked in Japan, I think that was a very good preparation for um, working in the consulate, which is basically a little piece of Japan in Australia. Mm. So being aware of the different, you know, the various cultural nuances and areas that are, you know, done a little bit differently in Japan that I think if you hadn't had the experience previously may be a little bit of a culture shock if someone were to just go into the role without having any previous experience um, in Japan whatsoever. And, you know, having the language as well is beneficial Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think more than that, it's kind of the just the cultural awareness and having lived and worked in Japan, I think was very um, beneficial for then working at the consulate. So we talked about with the interview process or the application process, you like a JET application, you had to write uh, answers to selection criteria and then submit that, I guess, with your resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which I guess is a, it takes the form of an English resume, like not like a Japanese. Yes, it does. Resume. It does. Yeah. So uh, within, like, similar to the Jet program, within the interview itself, there was um, a little bit of Japanese, just mm. to kind of gauge your level. So mm. the role itself didn't require Japanese, but I think having Japanese was uh, beneficial for the role. Mm-hmm. So, because you are working um, with uh, with consuls who are coming from Japan, and they do. Uh, rotate on a semi-regular basis so always uh, when they come to um, Australia uh, their goal of course uh, they have studied English before coming but they're always aiming to improve those English skills and having um, people at different levels and being able to speak with them in Japanese especially when they first arrive is is, is quite beneficial and Mm. being able to discuss things sometimes it's easier for them to explain matters directly in Japanese and yeah. then over time, um, always the goal is to help your consul be um, as fluent in English as they can, because eventually they, they're the ones who are going to have to meet with uh, various government representatives and business representatives and By speak themselves. in English. That's yeah. right. So always the goal is to kind of help them, and not just with the language, but also learn kind of the cultural nuances and mm. how to approach different um, people, even like, you know, how we would word emails in and reach out to people in comparison to how they would do it in Japan. 
So yeah. all of that. So it was kind of really was, you know, a cultural exchange in that sense. Oh, because okay. uh, we were helping them, you know, understand, um, uh, you know, the expectations of um, uh, doing business and um, interacting with uh, their counterparts here in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and then so and then being able to do that with a background and understanding of the Japanese context mm. is was definitely beneficial. So you kind of at least had a bit of an understanding of where they were coming from and mm. know which areas would probably need a bit more explanation and work and what mm. areas were kind of, you know, still like a, a natural fit. Because uh, one thing I've noticed uh, in your years when you were working at a consulate about how mm diplomatic you were uh extremely diplomatic and <laughs> i <laughs> uh i was was that learned on the job or did you already learned that because I you think, were working in japan because sure. i'm well you know my personality <laughs> I, I mean, my personality is pretty loud uh among friends and I, there's nothing i like better than a good gossip mm. <laughs> and uh, and I and I lived and worked in Japan, although not not as long as you have. But mm. uh, somehow that that sort of quality didn't exactly rub off on me. So I'm just curious to know what whether that was an innate skill you've already had, or whether that was learnt on the job. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I do consider my personality is relatively neutral <laughs> so <laughs> i'm not the i'm not the most uh, loudest or outgoing or outspoken of people in general but I would say um, when someone gets to know you then we just mm. like oh well th- there's quite a bit of a cutting dry wit there indeed indeed <laughs> well i appreciate that yes and it is always the quiet ones you do have to watch out for after all so <laughs> Silence, <yes. laughs> <definitely. Yeah. laughs> indeed but yeah so i think there was a little bit of that but also being mindful like um i guess two sides like working for the government i think there is a certain amount of like expectation that does come with the role and mm. understanding that you are representing the uh, the government and mm. uh further from that it's the government of japan which also brings with it a certain you know certain other expectations and understandings that Again, having lived and worked in Japan, I think you kind of are a bit more aware of, and I suppose it's just elevated to a to an extra level because mm. um, and while I myself was not, you know, uh, technically a consul or um, from uh, who was who came from Japan, I was working with them, and in many senses, our, our work was kind of representing their views and their kind of outreach to Australia. So I think just understanding the nature of your role and your position just yeah. kind of makes you a bit more mindful about how you represent yourself and how you go about doing your work. And yeah. I think just over time, you you adjust and you learn how that is, um, how it's best to kind of put that forward. And there's always going to be a few little faux pas along the way, and it's all yeah. a learning experience. But I did find that, you know, they were very understanding. And um, there were certain, there were times that were like, as as with any workplace, there there are definitely like you know ups and downs and different mm. things that kind of didn't make sense. But in a mm. way, you understood that it was just kind of done that way because it was Japan. So yeah. I think that again, again, I think anyone who wasn't the Jet program and especially in the Japanese education system will also know that that was sometimes the case. Yeah. Um... Any chance of uh, giving us a bit of, a, of an example that uh, now that you're not working there or that would be like, nope? <laughs> um, let me see. I suppose just more say like a general example is that there definitely is a, a lot of um, bureaucracy and paperwork involved in everything. Mm. And I think, you know, also working in Japanese schools, we I think people know that there definitely are a lot of forms that need to be signed and they need to always go up the hierarchy for yeah. even very, very simple things. Mm-hmm. So um, one example is to get a stamp to send out, um, you know, send out mail to people would require, you know, multiple documents to be printed out and signed by multiple people to the point where you almost wonder how many trees died in the process <laughs> to get one stamp. Yeah. But again, I do understand that there there is definitely a way of doing things and you know, Japan being the land of, of fax machines still shows <laughs> that there definitely is a lot of paperwork that still has to be done. Yes. But again, in all those little 
cultural nuances that are just come part and parcel with um, with uh, working in Japan and for a Japanese organization, and I guess in particular for the Japanese government, is just yeah. you just kind of um, roll with the punches and just understand that that's just the way things are done. And uh, did you ever? How do I put it?、Um, there was there's a concept called reading、mm. the air, right?、Mm. Kukiyomi.、Mm. Yeah. I think that's that's probably a lot of the job is kind of that, and I think you have a better、uh, you would have a better ability of Reading the air, if you had that experience、uh, working in Japan,、right. because you know, I guess you know, coming from Australia and and working in in Australia and in a lot of Australian organizations, there is definitely a different、um, work culture.、Mm. And I think、um, if、uh, you know you were if someone had just come directly from that kind of work environment without any background in、uh, in Japan at all. I think there would be some aspects that would be a little bit jarring and a bit difficult to、uh, to kind of come to terms with.、Mm-hmm. But I think、um, definitely having、uh, lived and worked in Japan, I think it made all those those little things a bit more understandable. Still,、yeah. some things are, you know, cannot be explained, and they simply are what they are. And I think you just eventually learn to accept that. Yeah, and you, I still, you know, being、um, a local staff member, of course, we did try to、um, make suggestions and、uh, weigh things and、uh, help to give our consuls an understanding of how things are done in Australia.、Mm. But again, always mindful of the fact that it is、um, it is a Japanese government、um, organization, and、um, that, that what takes precedence is、um, how things are done. Um, in terms of the, in terms of Japan, so、yeah. it was kind of a hybrid between the two. It all sounds sort of fiendishly difficult to pick up and be a bit of a, you know, one part mind reader, another part. <laughs> Experienced culturally in the ways of、uh, that workplace, and、sure. just sort of try and learn to pick something up by osmosis. As with any new workplace, there is a bit of a learning curve and understanding、mm. where you fit within that that work environment. And、um, I think I was fortunate to um, um, have very like understanding colleagues, and I met a, some really good friends during my time at the consulate. And we were all kind of, you know, understanding and learning things together. Yeah. And、um, I think similar to to the Jet program in that you kind of go in there with your cohort of、um, fellow participants,、mm. and then you know you're all、uh, strangers in a strange land, if you will. Some、mm. people may have a bit more background in studying Japanese, may have studied、um, studied in country or traveled before. Some、yeah. people coming there. Um, without any background whatsoever,、mm-hmm. but what you share is kind of that shared experience of, you know, being、um, transplanted into that different culture and different place、um, yeah. at that time. So you can kind of、um, work together and understand the the inevitable ups and downs that come along because you're kind of sharing that experience. So I think、yeah. you know having having、uh, that. Le- um, That level of support amongst your colleagues, because then it was a mixture of local staff and、um, consuls who were sent from Japan. So we kind of、um, mm. worked together and had that understanding with each other about、uh, finding your kind of、uh, place within the workplace. And I think that's true with、um, with all organizations, large and small. Yeah. That the, you know, you everyone needs to find kind of their. Uh, I guess their niche where they fit in, and then like、um, yeah. sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, and I think that's why people decide to come and go at different times. With your day-to-day job, and、mm-hmm. I remember we were talking about this before.、Sure. Oftentimes, what you get to do、uh, changes from consulate general to consulate general. So yeah, so basically, so the the consulate has a few different areas that they concentrate on, and different consulates and different embassies will have different focus as well. So just in case for those who、um, 
uh, maybe a little bit unclear. So the embassy is kind of the main uh, representation of Japan in the country, and that's uh, based in Canberra. So it's always in the capital city. So and then the consulates are kind of the smaller missions based in the other large cities. So the consulate, in terms of um, staffing and work, Sydney does um, have um, a large amount of staff and a large amount of work, just because of the nature of Sydney being kind of、mm. the center of commerce. So、um, in terms of our focus areas, there were things.、Um, uh, definitely, there was like a business development,、um, agriculture. And in my area, with information and cultural affairs, which is kind of more promoting Japanese、um, language and culture、uh, to Australians.、Mm-hmm. So within those broad areas,、uh, you what you would find is each consul who was in charge of each field, and then by extension the, the consul general who was the head of the mission.、Um, they would always bring their particular area of interest and focus. So.、Um, Uh, one consul general may be very interested in、um, sister city relationships, so、mm. they may have、um, spend a lot more time trying to visit all of the cities in Australia that do have sister city relations with Japan.、Mm-hmm. Another consul may be very interested in agriculture or in、uh, the economic relationship with Australia, so、mm. their focus may be more establishing connections between Japanese and Australian business people,、uh, mm. the different chambers of commerce. Mm-hmm. Or visiting、um, regional parts of New South Wales, and、uh, the Sydney consulate was also responsible for the Northern Territory.、Mm-hmm. So visiting Darwin and parts of the Northern Territory to kind of build those regional connections as well.、Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a broad remit, and then within that,、um, the different consuls and the different consul generals kind of usually because there's only so much. Time and effort they can dedicate to an area, and because their time at the consulate is finite, usually it's a rotation of between two to three years.、Mm-hmm. They kind of choose、uh, their areas of focus, and、um, I'm not saying that other areas are completely neglected, but there are. You always do notice that there are certain areas that do tend to、uh, be highlighted more depending on the particular interest、mm-hmm. or focus of that consul or consul general.、Mm-hmm. But so, there are constants within that. So, like the jet program was always a part of the、uh, the work that I was doing. But again, there were some consul generals who were very engaged and very interested in promoting the jet program. Others, it was not that they, you know, neglected it, but then it wasn't their main focus. And、mm-hmm. it's just it's just part and parcel of what it is. Yeah, but it does sound like it. It would make for quite an interesting variety.、Uh, it definitely、work. does. It definitely does. Yeah, that's 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 the one thing. And、um, so every、um, actually every year there would be a little bit of a change because consuls would be coming and going at staggered rates.、Mm. So it may not necessarily be the consul that you directly work with, but、mm. uh, there's always a little bit of a, of a, of a churn and a change. So that definitely kept things interesting. I guess、mm-hmm. the the sad part of that is when you're working with a particularly good consul, you knew that it was eventually going to come to an end because they would be、yeah. called back to Japan. So、yeah. that's that's the that's the other side of it too. Yeah, it's almost like their equivalent of the jet program. Pretty much,、over. pretty much, yeah. So it is, and I think you know it's it's true for most consulates around the world. Those who are sent from the home country to the foreign、yeah. country aren't there indefinitely. There usually is a time limit to that time. So, what's some of the highlights of、mm-hmm. uh, uh, for me?、Fun? Most definitely, the 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 whole jet program aspect was still something that even till the very end I enjoyed doing. Every year we prepared the jet participants and we sent、mm-hmm. them off.、Mm-hmm. You know, I always wanted to like sneak into their suitcase and go back to Japan with them because, <laughs> and but as you know, our suitcase limits are very strict, and they're bringing、uh, you know so much stuff in there that unfortunately. Um, I was over the weight, the weight limit, so <laughs> I couldn't get in. But、um, I think that, and like especially seeing、um, all the different、um, candidates that went through, and、uh, I feel very fortunate to have、um, sent quite a number of cohorts through, and still be in touch with some of those people now. Yeah. And、uh, being able to give them that opportunity, and of course,、um, as with anything, some have、um, phenomenal experiences, some have. Not as great experiences, but I think everyone has an experience and an opportunity that,、um, you know, doesn't come around all the time. And I think、um, 
being able to share their stories when they come back and, you know, you're sharing their excitement before they go. And um, some people, it's the first time they've ever traveled overseas. Some people, they're reconnecting with Japan. Um, it's uh, like just sharing their stories and being able to uh, be a part of their jet journey was, uh, was for me, very rewarding. And I think that is one aspect of the role that I miss. And I think being part of Jet AA is a way to kind of stay connected to all of that. Yeah. And I think also you were still working for the consulate when mm -hmm. Prime Minister Shinzo Abe came to Sydney. Mm. Yes. So, yeah, well, there were there were a couple of uh, visits actually during my time at the consulate. So the, whenever, whenever there was a visit um, from the Prime Minister to Australia, it was basically all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. And depending on which state that they were visiting, the always the embassy would take a primary coordination because they are the head of the, the head mission in the country. Mm -hmm. But then the local consulate would then be, you know, kind of be the base of operations for everything happening. So, you know, there were some 3 a.m. wake up times to oh. make sure we got the newspapers and everything ready in time for when the official delegation to, uh, got to work iron them did you have to iron newspapers <laughs> <laughs> no no we didn't have to go that far but we did have to like pre-read everything and make sure there was an if there was any news reported about the delegation or of anything that was of relevance to the delegation we had to make sure that it was ready so that uh when they got started at um on their day they would already have everything um on hand and and briefed so that they um you know nothing caught them by surprise if you will Right. So, like, but yeah, it was a very interesting experience um, uh, working through those um, those various visits that happened while we were while um, while I was working at the consulate. I think uh, very much one thing I'm always um, uh, like awed about is the level of preparation, and perhaps some people might call it over preparation for whenever there is an official visit of that magnitude that does occur. Mm -hmm. So you know, we uh, we check and double check and triple check everything. To the point where, you know, I do remember one time we had to count the number of steps it would take to wow. to leave one building and get to the car so that it was all meticulously planned to that level of detail. Wow. And I, I do wonder sometimes that if it can, uh, you know, if we really needed to go to that level. But I think it was there's always that sense. And I think, you know, living in Japan of, it's best to be overprepared than underprepared. So I guess always erring on the side of caution. So have everything ready beforehand. So, and that to be fair, um, there's always unexpected things that would go along. But I think that always the goal was to minimize the amount of unexpected things that came along. And you know, all the all the all the all the events eventually happened and um, as as smoothly as as they could be done. And I think. We live yeah. to tell the tale, so that's that's something. I, I do remember you having to work without a break at one point, like no weekends. Yeah, that sometimes it can happen that way because, um, again, just the nature of the role, there things may occur, and sometimes you do have to work through a weekend or you have to um, do um, extra work that's kind of above and beyond the standard work hours. The one good thing, though, as a local staff member is that we were paid overtime for those times. Mm. So it wasn't just uh, Sabisa Zangyo, which unfortunately was for the consuls. So for them, it's just an expectation, kind of no questions asked. If you need to be there, you will be there. Mm. So I guess the one fortunate thing about being a local staff member is that, you know, you were still kind of asked and expected to be there, but you will be compensated for for being for doing so mm. and for me more often than not um i i didn't um really find it um overburdensome in any way because um uh it was always interesting it was always something um something uh, like different mm. and um just kind of uh looking behind the scenes you know behind the smoke and mirrors and seeing what goes on uh, yeah. behind the curtain was always kind of interesting we come down to the reason for leaving the consulate, although mm -hmm. you, you were there for uh, quite a while. Yeah, I was there for five years. So, yeah, it was, it was a really, uh, you know, again, a really good experience. But I think as with, um, with everything, and I suppose particularly for our generation, I think we're always looking for uh, new opportunities and new challenges.
So while the concert was uh, was definitely interesting and um, I, I learned a lot from the experience, I guess the unfortunate thing is that being a local staff member, there's only uh, so far you can progress uh, within the consulate itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, not being a Japanese citizen, you know, you can't progress again to a level of a consul or anything like that. Yeah. So I was kind of, um, in uh, in some senses, I was looking for like new opportunities and new challenges and and and, an oper- and I guess a way to progress my career forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, while I, you know, still loved the JET program and uh, sending off people every year, I kind of also understood that it was a good juncture to kind of uh, bring someone new on board we, who had that renewed uh, vigor, if you will, and that mm-hmm. renewed um, kind of focus to be able to share that enthusiasm with, uh, with the next uh, generation of JET program participants. Mm. Because uh, while I still you know, look forward to those opportunities, I have to be honest with myself and start and understand that it started to feel a little bit like going through the motions. And my time on JET started to seem further and further away. So I kind of, um, you know, understood that it would be a good opportunity for someone um, who uh, was closer to their JET experience Mm. to be the one kind of uh, guiding the next generation through. Yeah. So I think it was, um, for me personally, it was a a good juncture to uh, pursue new opportunities and to... um, you know, to turn the page in that experience at the consulate, which was invaluable. And again, I do feel very fortunate to have had that opportunity straight after the JET program because um, it definitely allowed me to pursue uh, a very different path. And again, I feel like my path has been unconventional mm-hmm. uh, or perhaps more so confused than anything because it has kind of swiveled and swerved in many different directions and i think this is just the latest direction it has taken and mm. that part of the journey was was uh, particularly valuable and important yeah mm-hmm. uh so how did you get into your current role mm. so that was again a bit of an interesting um uh interesting connection if you will because um so at the point where I was getting on to five years and I was thinking, I was uh, preparing to send off my, um, that was that would have been the batch leaving in 2019 last year to go to Japan. Mm. So I decided, okay, I think it's a good, uh, once I send them off and um, they're on their way, it'll be a good opportunity to uh, transition from out of the role and then allow um, someone new to come on board. So I decided to just, just, send, uh, I guess, some feelers out there to see what might be available. And I didn't have a particular path kind of laid out. Mm. I was just kind of looking for things that might be interesting and things that may not necessarily be like logical connections, if you will, but Mm. uh, still have some kind of link. Mm -hmm. So I sent up, you know, to all various different things to like tech startups, to, um, advertising companies to government so again if i wanted to continue down the government path um, and have an opportunity to progress it would be to work for the australian government either in uh, like state or federal capacity Mm -hmm. so i did um uh, send out those applications as well but i think as you know those ones do take an exceptionally long amount of time to go through Mm -hmm. any type of process so i think the private sector moves much quicker Mm. So I sent a, a, um, a whole range of different applications out for different things. And um, I kind of came down to two opportunities that, um, that I was invited to interview for. And mm. uh, one was a tech startup based in San Francisco. Mm. And one was a, um, an advertising um, company based in the UK. Mm. And um, I interviewed for both of the roles and they were both, you know, very interesting. Mm. But then um, I was kind of uh, tossing up between the two and I thought the, again, no background in like advertising at mm. all, mm. but uh, because the focus of this of a particular advertising company was um, localizing for different markets around the world. So I think mm. having um, the, I guess, 
having the experience of living and working in a, a few different countries mm-hmm. and having some um, language skills um, in a few different languages as well was, was beneficial. And I think it was a good opportunity to explore a, a completely different field and learn some new skill sets that I wouldn't necessarily have had if I had just pursued um, a, a kind of a more direct or logical path from my previous experiences. Yeah. So I guess hence I, you know, decided for that role after yeah. making sure I um, finished up everything at the at the consulate um, uh, that needed to be finished up before I left and uh, prepared for the next person to come along. I I guess we should uh, I should mention you're still mm-hmm. helping out the consulate even now. I, I still it's been am. Several when, when months. I can. Since yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just just you know again it. Um, it was a really good experience and I was very fortunate to work with some very good colleagues and, and um, exceptional consuls while I was over there. So um, if I'm still able to help, I still try to do so. Mm. But then also with the goal of the, you know, letting the transition like happen so mm. that um, there will be uh, a smooth transition. Yeah. Like most people, I kind of look back and wonder at what the different junctures in my life were. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're very clear. Sometimes they're, um, you know, it's a bit hazy when you look back on it all. Mm-hmm. But if I had to trade everything that happened, you know, from that point when I decided to finish up in Korea, you know, yeah. all the inevitable ups and downs that came along the way, would I trade that for yeah. the possibility of something exceptional happening? Yeah. It's, you know, I at, if I put it in, in that, sense I, I don't think I would because so much um you know so many interesting things I met so many interesting people you know like yourself along Yay. the way which I you know wouldn't have if I hadn't decided to pursue that path yes. so much, it's much, a losing much battle to your everlasting regrets I, I, <laughs> yes. yeah, I still I still can't get rid of you so here we are Yay. <laughs> without saying of course that experiences may be different at each diplomatic office thank you so much to Raphael for lifting the curtain on the working life at the consulate unfortunately I did not find Raphael's thesis on otaku culture in Australia and we the general public shall remain deprived of this no doubt very important and interesting dissertation on pop culture see you all next time and take care music selected for this episode is called Working for the County from the album Good Graces by Derek Clegg and is licensed under an attribution non-commercial share-alike 3.0 United States license and is available on freemusicarchive.org